Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stat 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Man, I can't fucking believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. Well, hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning back into Inside the Sequel. This is the podcast show where we talk about sequel movies that, you know, need to get a little bit more rep and, uh, you know, deserve to be uh, championed in praise. And uh, I'm your host, Chris, as always, here to, to deliver the good word on sequels. Um, today, if you're tuning in, you've listened to our last two episodes on our Godzilla miniseries. And I kept thinking, why do I call it a miniseries? If we're talking about the big G, it should be like a mega series or something because, you know, it destroys um, buildings and such. But either way, we're here with the Godzilla series. Um, this is where we're talking about each week. Uh, Godzilla movies we recommend before the new one comes out. And uh, the last two we did with Godzilla Raids Again and then with Lindsay from the Schlock It All podcast. Thank you, Lindsay, if you're listening, for com- coming on the show for that, where we talked about Godzilla versus Mothra. Uh, well, today, we are talking about the 1968 um, Infinity War, Endgame. You can give it so many different names uh, of the Godzilla movies, but we're talking about the the big battle royale of monsters and uh, destroy all monsters. And uh, this is a big one because we have a very special guest, uh, one of the most handsome and one of the biggest uh, I guess I would say we'd have. Sorry, Daniel. I think Mike might take your spot there. Uh, but we have Michael Scott from the 20th Century uh, Movie Fan Podcast, as well as co-host of the Dana Buckler Show. We have Michael Scott. Mike, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. I'm happy to be here, man. I'm super excited to talk about this movie. As am I, because you are... At least from what I see and what I when I when I talk to you, you are you, you are a big Godzilla guy from from what I can tell, and I'm excited about that. I I am a big Godzilla guy. One of the uh, one of the first sort of projects I did when we went into quarantine was I bought a a fairly cheap uh, Godzilla toy uh, from Walmart and then spent about a month repainting it and making it actually look screen accurate. I think that was one of the kind of one of the first chats we ever had on Twitter is I tweeted out a picture of it and you reached out to me and were like, dude, that's so cool. And I was like, oh yeah, this, I mean, I already, I already knew you were cool because you were Daniel's friend, but I was like, oh yeah, now Chris and I, Chris and I are going to be cool. I get it now. (laughs) You know, that's what's funny. That's what all of campus, uh, when Daniel and I were in college together, that's usually what they would say. Everyone knew Daniel, and they were like, oh, you're friends with him? Okay, like, you can come along. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, I remember that sculpture, and I also remember you asking me on Twitter, um, what were, you, like, your top five Godzilla movies? And I remember 
texting Daniel. I was like, damn, that's a good question. I need to put something down and it's got to be tasteful. Um, <laughs> so I, I always remember that one. Um, and I've been a big fan of your work as well on podcasting, the Data Buckler Show. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know about until a, about a year or two ago um, when Daniel brought me um, – uh, kind of mentioned it to me and I started listening to it. I really enjoyed it. And so I started to listen to you and, you know, Daniel and you got pretty close. And, and then you started the Atkins Undisputed podcast, which at least in our circle of friends, which feels like it's growing bigger. Um, I mean, that's like, that's like the one where we all come together and, you know, come around the bonfire and just listen to you speak the good word. Yeah, I've, I've been really, you know, it, it's funny. Um, that was an idea that I, I had uh, literally I was driving around somewhere and I was like, hmm, maybe I should just start a Scott Adkins podcast. <laughs> and I I threw it out on Twitter. Uh, I had had uh, quite a few whiskeys and threw it out on Twitter. And, you know, should I do this? And the response was it just actually blew me away. It's, it's you know, I'm not a big Twitter presence by any means. Uh, <laughs> and it might be like my most engaged tweet. Uh and so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm doing this. And, uh, and the response, the reception, you know, the, the listenership isn't huge, but like you said, amongst our circle of friends and amongst the people who listen, um, it's, it's a very dedicated listenership. And I'd honestly just rather have that. I'd rather have people who are just interested in, in hearing it. And I've been really touched, uh, by the, all the kind words that you and, Daniel and Lindsay and, and Anthony King and, and all the people on action Twitter, like Brandon Streisnig and my friend Rob Antiquera and just and everything that everybody said has just been really touching. It's been for such a, a passion project slash labor of love. It's been really nice to see the response. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, man, it, it is really good stuff. It's, it's, I didn't even know who Scott Atkins was, but once uh, Daniel told me and I saw on Twitter that you were doing a podcast dedicated around a specific actor in his works, I remember telling Daniel, I was like, why has no one done this? Because <laughs> it's so genius. I was like, I don't even know who this guy is, but like, I want to hear about it. And when Daniel told me it was this action star, and then my buddy Seth knew who Scott Atkins was too, and I told him about it, I was just like wow, like I got to watch some of this stuff. And I'm still very new to Scott Adkins, but when you talk about just action movies and just opening people's eyes uh, or I guess ears when they listen um, to the different types of like action movies and the different eras of them and the stars that are in them, it just almost feels like being a kid again, you know, and watching these movies and listening uh, about these stories from from the past. It's just really very engaging stuff. Well, the big thing for me is, you know, we both like horror movies too, and they're they're you know they're both action and horror, both genres, but there is such a wealth of really intelligent writing and uh, podcasting about horror movies, and I just feel you know I had um, the the great Jordan Cruciola on a few episodes ago, and and she and I were talking about that. The action, just for whatever reason, outside a few people like uh, the great outlaw Vern or uh, my friend Mike Fury, you know, people like that. That that um, 
action just hasn't gotten that same kind of attention. Uh, and so I wanted to try and bring that same level of sort of research and scholarship, even though I'm kind of an idiot who's making this up as I go <laughs> along, uh, to action movies. And the easiest way to do that was through my favorite actor, who is right now, uh, admittedly I'm biased, but I think is the best action star in the world working right now. And so that seemed like a logical way to kind of approach it. And no, that's awesome. And I, and we, I think sometimes with podcasts and just talking about movies, we sometimes get carried away with what the trends are. And it's really nice to kind of take a step back and just talk and champion things that mean something to you because that passion is what drives people to listen. At least that's what I've noticed. And we're a pretty small podcast here, but from the people and the interactions that I've received, and it's be based on my idiotic defense of Rugrats in Paris and Return of Cooler movies on different podcasts and stuff. And it's like, I feel happy knowing that people know that I love these things and have the utmost respect for them. And uh, and I feel like that's what you've done with Atkins Undisputed and just what you tweet and talk about. It just It's a really nice change of pace. And I feel like it's really kind of set the trend. And not to be that Blu-ray connoisseur guy, but like... I feel like the trend of Blu-ray collecting, at least in the boutique label sector, is um, that it used to be like these really crazy horror movies like the a la Screen Factor and Arrow. But now I think for some reason the turn has come to more action movies. Like these lost action films are starting to become more popular like Mill Creek, um, Vinegar Syndrome for what Daniel shows me from his collection. By the way, I got to steal his Blu-rays at some point when I go visit him again. <laughs> yeah, you and, do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then the, the Bruce Lee box set that came out from Criterion, which used to be out of prints from Shout Select. It's just like I feel like there's just a resurgence and it's nice to know that there's people like you out there and, and you know personally Daniel also gives me all this background information of of things I've known about but not really paid attention to that just makes me very happy yeah absolutely and and I do think you're right um because you know there's another boutique label uh if you're region free 88 films that mm -hmm. has just been killing it with Jackie classic Jackie Chan and classic Jean-Claude Van Damme Blu-rays. Yes. I mean, they've just, they're gorgeous. They're absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and you know, yeah, we've had Shout Factory or Scream Factory for a long time doing horror movies. And there, there, ha there wasn't an equivalent of that doing action. And now 88's really doing that. I think they're kind of leading the way, but because they're leading the way, Vinegar Syndrome, you know, Vinegar Syndrome just put out the martial law box set uh, of martial law and martial law two uh, last year. And like you mentioned that criterion set of, of the Bruce Lee movies. I mean, not only is enter the dragon or fist of fury in the criterion collection, but that was so thorough that the quite frankly, God awful game of death two is now <laughs> in the criterion yeah. collection, uh, yeah, which I is saw that. hilarious to me because they were just so thorough in that set. Um, it's, it's a good time to be an action fan right now. Oh yeah. 100%. And, uh, yeah, you just, just keep doing the good work you're doing on there. 
Um, and I'm sure everyone who's listening is like, where can I get my hands on some of these movies? Um, I, the, the, you can get a lot of these, I know, like, the, like you said, Vin, Vinegar Syndrome, 88 films. Um, yeah, those Jackie Chan movies, and that can just be a whole other discussion with the, just like those Hong Kong films that you and Daniel keep educating all of us on, which makes us want to just relive like those movies. Like Jackie Chan growing up, you watch those American films in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, and then you pop in like one early Jackie Chan movie and you're like the whole world opens up differently to you like I remember watching Police Story 1, 2, and 3 with my buddy Seth and like I still haven't looked at action movies kind of the same since then um and it just yeah it just it's crazy how impactful they can be absolutely absolutely I mean you know I've said it repeatedly that the the era of of it's basically called the new wave of hong kong cinema which started roughly about 1978 and went to about 1997 those are rough estimates um that 20 year period is my favorite era of filmmaking ever in the world Mm. uh because it was just such an unbridled unhinged (laughs) go for broke way of making movies uh that i don't think we'll ever see again i mean it was it was a perfect storm of the right circumstances for that to happen and i just don't know that we're ever going to see anything like it again so it's something that i that era those jackie chan movies jet lee from the era donnie yen people like that michelle yo i just i hold them very near and dear to my heart Mm, well said well said and uh yeah, and people, like I said, if you want to listen to this amazing kind of conversation, the Atkins Undisputed podcast is is one you can't miss out on. And uh, Mike, I mean, you're just you're just like a man for all seasons, to quote a movie that I've never seen before. But, uh, y- you know, you're also on the Dana Buckler show, and you're doing that 20th Century Movie Club. Um, I love that concept, by the way. I feel like this is just me just like praising, which, I mean, <laughs> if it's too much, let me know, but I won't stop. Uh, I just love the idea of like, getting like a spreadsheet, getting people on and talking about movies and like, you know, recommending them in the 20th century. It's just like, it's such a great idea that I'm so glad that you're doing. <laughs> like, I feel safe in that those hands, you know? <laughs> well, and I have to give credit to Dana for that. You know, it's his show. Um, and, and for those who haven't listened, Dana Buckler is the reason I'm even in podcasting um, because he was kind enough to to bring me on. But it was his idea. And, and Chris, you're actually the kind of the target audience for that show because Dana works in a restaurant. He's a restaurant manager. And he was noticing that uh, a lot of the, uh, to use a dreaded word, a lot of the millennials, because uh, Dana and I are both olds, uh, a lot of the millennials... <laughs> had never seen these movies that meant so much to us in Gen X growing up, you know, things from the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. And so he got this idea of doing this show to introduce people uh, who are younger than us to these movies and, and talk about why they mattered to us and why we think people should see them. And it, it started really straightforward, but then we started bringing on guests, and then we started doing themes, and it's kind of just grown from there. And and for those who don't know, you know, Dana now has a radio show as well. So I 
took over. He still does all the rest of the stuff on the show, but I took over the 20th Century Movie Club, and I've had, you know, all sorts of guests on. I try and get as many varied people on. You know, Chris, you've been on. Um, At the point that this has come out, the episode hasn't been released yet, but it will be released prior to the release of uh, Godzilla vs. Kong because uh, you came on and we talked monster movies. Um, And uh, you and Daniel came on and we got really into some of our favorite monster movies, and it was a blast, man. Yeah, I, it was so much fun. Uh, I even told my grandma, my my parents about it, and they were like, "Oh, cool, sweetie." And I was like, "No, no, this is cool." Like, trust me. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. For those that don't know that that I was finally um, put on there to talk about monster movies, which was great because, like, at that moment in my time, I was like, I don't want to just be on my podcast or my YouTube channel to just talk about monster movies. It was nice to share that kind of passion with two people that I like. And, um, yeah, I think it turned out well. I'm very curious to see how much editing you had to put on me on that one, but, uh, I'm sure it's going to sound great. <laughs> yeah, it's going to, I've, I've already scanned through it. I haven't finished the edit, but it's going to sound just fine. No worries, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, Mike, since it's your first time on Inside the Sequel, um, you know, we're kind of a wild bunch here. We just like to talk about movies we love and, uh, I'm sure listeners would love to know, uh, what are Mike Scott's, some of his favorite stand sequel movies? Well, so it's actually funny because my absolute favorite movie of all time is a sequel. Uh, mm. So my very, very favorite movie of all time has been ever since it came out. And I saw it three times in one day, uh, opening day in the theater, is actually oh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Um, yes. it's not the, you know, I'm not going to argue it's the greatest movie of all time. I'm not going to argue it's Citizen Kane, but it is absolutely my <laughs> favorite movie of all time. I've seen it more times than I can count. It's, uh, my, you know, my friend Adam Risky from F This Movie has a, <laughs> has a phrase where he, he says, uh, he wanted the moon and he got the moon. And that is exactly how I felt the first time I saw Spider-Man 2. I had in my head what I wanted this movie to be, and I got... It it might be the only movie, or one of a very few handful of movies in my life, that I got everything out of it that I wanted going into it. Um, I I just... I I love that movie to death. Well, I'm glad somebody's brought up Spider-Man 2, because, yeah, that movie is as perfect as perfect gets for movies. And um, that one and the first one... I can't remember a time growing up where I didn't watch these movies and like never like, you know, when you watch movies often, sometimes you start to notice some things and you're just like, oh, maybe it's not as good as I thought or you're just kind of worn on it. Those are always two movies where it's I never can get tired of watching those movies. And at any moment they're put on, I can just sit and watch it no matter if the movie's already started or it's near the end. I'll still sit and watch. I'll literally sometimes just put on the opening credits because I I love especially Spider-Man 2 with the Alex Ross painted portraits in the opening credits. But I also so love that Danny Elfman theme song that Mm -hmm. I will just sometimes, even if I don't have time to watch the movie, I'll just jump on YouTube and put on the opening (laughs) credits because it just makes me happy. Uh, You know, you see that it's just, you get the sound and you see the web cut through sort of the blue background and stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's just... It takes me to my happy place every time I do it. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's time that the world moves moves past, like, not liking Tobey Maguire as your Spider-Man and these movies being dated. I still think these movies hold up, 
like as perfect as they ever can be. I, they're just timeless. So, well, yeah, really, really solid pick there. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. What are some other sequels you got? Do you have like any more that you would like particularly shout out? Sure. So I do feel like I should stay on brand. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and so one that's kind of come up a little bit a lot lately, um, partially because of an episode of Adkins that we did and also just partially because uh, every couple of years it seems people discover this movie. And so that's actually Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, directed by John Hyams. It's, depending on how you count it, it's the third, the fourth, the seventh in the Universal Soldier uh, franchise, (laughs) but it's the... Only one with Scott Adkins. Uh, it does have Jean-Claude Van Damme. It does have Dolph Lundgren. And it is basically one of, if not the greatest direct-to-video sequel ever made. Uh, it is a balls-out action horror Lynchian nightmare uh it's the kind of movie that it makes me love direct to video because uh, you look at a movie called Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning and you immediately have an inclination as to what that movie's going to be. And then you watch it and it is so much better and so much weirder and so much more different than it has any right to be. Um, and so that is that is one that I actually I, I adore that movie. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a tough watch. It, it doesn't. It's not the type of movie that's going to put you in a happy place unless you're a weirdo like <laughs> me. But it is a a tremendous piece of filmmaking that a direct to video sequel to a 1992 Jean Claude Van Damme movie has just no business being like no business being as good as it is. <laughs> this is like such an oddly specific genre film, and I love it. <laughs> Uh, I wonder, like when you said, it's like it—it's not gonna put people in a happy place at times unless you're about it. I wonder if it's like part of the the comfort food um, section where people go like, "Oh, this is my comfort food movie," and it's like Midsummer Solo and like uh, Come and See. You know, do you put this movie in there with it? You know, well, it it does. I mean, at the end of the day, it does still have Scott Adkins kicking a lot of people in the head, so it's not quite—it's oh. not quite that. I mean it. It has a couple of the most just insanely great fight scenes uh, that have ever been filmed. Um, but it's definitely, it definitely is a movie that, um, you know, it's, the best way I can describe it is it's a Lynch, it's a Lynchian horror movie with, melded with, like, Enter the Dragon. You know, and, and so you just have the plot and the story and the way it's shot is this just unsettling nightmare of a movie, but then it's periodically broken up by just Scott Adkins. You know, I have a nickname for Scott Adkins. I always call him the human special effect. Scott (laughs) Adkins just doing human special effect things and Jean-Claude Van Damme basically replicating Marlon Brando's performance from apocalypse now. And, (laughs) and, um, I mean, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, but it is a movie that almost defies categorization, uh, (laughs) and defies description. Uh, I, I love those kind of movies where you're just like, this is my movie, you know, like you just have those, you like, you can tell people about them, but you're like, 
this is a movie that's like kind of made personally for me. It sounds like this might be one of those. It, it is, you know, uh, uh, Brian and Elric from Pure Cinema Podcast. They have that term handshake movies where it's a movie where if you find somebody who likes it, you know, you can like shake hands and be like, OK, yeah, you and I, we're probably going to get along. This is a total handshake movie for me. <laughs> if, if somebody likes this movie. There is probably something about them that I am going to like. We are probably going to be able to be friends. It sounds like how Nathan and I agreed to be friends when we talked about Kung Pao once. That uh, perfect, ex- <laughs> absolutely perfect example. Like, they, they, that is a perfect analogy. But this movie sounds a lot better than that one, even though that's a movie I will quote consistently. But like, I can't ever recommend it to anybody because <laughs> it's like, if you're not going to like it, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> even though the movie's almost 20 i think it is over 20 years old now so yeah i i Ah. definitely give caveats when i recommend this one that that like (laughs) it's okay if you don't like it because it's it's uh you know it's it's a bit there's definitely parts of it that are a bit you know uh, just it's not a spoiler but one of the things Mm -hmm. hyams does is he does this strobe effect in the movie and he holds it for so long that it actually becomes physically painful to look at the screen and it's it's done with purpose it's done to make you you're supposed to be like in physical pain watching it but you know that's not gonna be for everybody (laughs) i I totally get that that's why i leave all the movie recommendations to daniel and like as long as we've been friends i always kind of like look to him to recommend movies because he knows my taste and i know his taste but he knows better how to read a crowd than i do so it's like he, you know, he'll recommend something that I'll like, but like safe enough to recommend to somebody else, so I don't like put myself on, um, uh, you know, to get laughed at when so or made fun of if someone's like, oh, I didn't like this movie, but you like it, you know. But I, uh, that's what it sounds like. So I'm glad. Um, and Jean Claude Van Damme again. That's a that's a filmography right there that I've really not. Jean Claude Van Damme has always been like an actor for me that I've known. But, like, never really got into. And I think it's probably because, like, as a kid growing up, I watched um, Rob Van Dam from the WWF. And I just kind of thought, oh, he must be as cool as this guy, right? <laughs> well, I mean, RVD's entire shtick was basically based on uh, Jean-Claude because they they are strikingly, uh, especially when uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was younger before uh, he uh, accumulated quite a few miles. Um, they bore striking physical resemblances, and, and RVD could do the splits and stuff like that. So there was actually a whole lot of, of RVD's uh, shtick that is built on Jean-Claude Van Damme. So that makes perfect sense. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. And, and I guess I did see Bloodsport, too. But the funny thing is my mom is the one who showed me Bloodsport because she loved it. I don't know why, but she just did. So she showed it to us. So Because it's the same a great movie. movie, Chris. That's why she loved it, because it's a <laughs> yeah, great movie. It is a great movie. I just was like, wow, okay, Mom. And, uh, I mean, this is the same woman who put on Nightmare on Elm Street 2 for me. So shout out my mom. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Mike, it sounds like, um, you know, for those listening, like, you're a big action guy, and of course, uh, you're going to love this one in 1968 with Godzilla uh, destroying monsters, uh, but I do have to ask, where did your love for Godzilla come from? Like, I, I know you said you, you kind of took it upon yourself, and, and um, you started watching all these Godzilla movies all a lot quicker than me, which, uh, you know, that's awesome. I can't wait to be where, where you're at. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, where did, where did the big G kind of start 
you know, in your heart? Kind of my whole life. Um, I had an uncle. Uh, oh, I have an uncle. I, I keep. I don't want to sound like he's passed. Um, mm-hmm. I have an uncle who uh, he and my aunt were kind of my uh, babysitters when my um, parents would like want to go out when I was a kid. So you know, five six, yeah. and uh, and uh, he was uh, quite a bit younger. He was still in high school when I was born. So we weren't. I mean, we were far removed in age, but we weren't that far removed in age, and so. Uh, he was uh, kind of he was he was the cool kid in high school. You know, he was uh, if you've ever seen Dazed and Confused, he was basically mm-hmm. Jason or uh, Jason London's character from Dazed and Confused growing up. Oh, and okay. so <laughs> he uh, introduced me to Bruce Lee movies. That's the reason I'm a Bruce Lee fan. He introduced me to Star Trek and he introduced me to Godzilla. And so, uh, along with that, at that time, uh, uh, you know, your basic local channels, every Saturday afternoon, they would show, you know, a Godzilla movie. And so, he introduced me to who Godzilla was, uh, and I remember watching, the, the first one I really remember seeing was Godzilla vs. Megalon, and, mm-hmm. uh, and that just... Man, I was all in already on that. Yep. I was. I would sit there. He had given me a copy of whichever Blue Oyster Cult album had Godzilla on it, and I would just watch Godzilla versus Megalon and jam out to Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla. And so I was. And then I eventually, I think I saw, you know, sort of most of the Showa era ones. Uh, and then kind of fell away a little bit through a good portion of my adult life and then slowly but surely rediscovered my love of kaiju and tokusatsu stuff, primarily because I found uh, Common Rider. And uh, that, like, I was, all, I was all the way back in. I was all the way back in on Ultraman. I was all the way back in on Super Sentai and Power Rangers. And uh, so then when that Criterion Showa set came out, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to also buy all of the like Heishai era and Millennium era movies. And I am just going to sit down while we're in quarantine. And I'm going to start at 1954. And I'm going to go all the way up to King of Monsters. And I did in a little over a month. Uh, which was a lot of friggin' Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, That's awesome. And almost to the... I actually don't recommend that because... The ones that I hadn't seen before all started to blend together. Like, if you want to ask me about, like, Heishai and Millennium era movies, I will tell you that most of them are good. But if you want me to tell you what happens in one versus the other, I got nothing for you. They're all... <laughs> I, I, I destroy... Or, uh, uh, Biolante, Godzilla versus Biolante really oh. sticks out because I really yeah. liked that one. But mm-hmm. most of the others just kind of blend together. Yeah, I I agree there. Um, sp- oh, man, when I was watching like <laughs> Space Godzilla and Destroya, I swear there were outside of just the designs, I swear there was just scenes where they just look, looked exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I totally get what you mean there. There's definitely like a house style, you know, and especially and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but especially when you talk the Showa era, oh, you know, boy, you kind of have you kind of have how you got how Ishiro Honda's movies look. 
And then you sort of got how June Fukuda's movies look. And, and so you can always tell which one is directing which movie because their styles are so fundamentally different, uh, which I think is really very cool. And that's one of my favorite things about the Showa era. Oh, yeah. And I finished the Hisei series and, um, you know, I, I have I, – there's a lot to take away from it. I, I think they're really great-looking movies. That I think they improve a lot. I like the stories for the most part. My only problem is they, they really do stretch out the human stories a little too long um, to make them two hours. Um, why they decided to do that, I, I get kind of. I wish they didn't. But, you know, I, I share your, your love for Biollante. I think – to me, that's one of the standouts of the entire Godzilla franchise. It's a sh- I mean, it makes sense why it's such a hard movie to get a hold of, but you can stream it for free on the archives, just for those listening. Um, and uh, yeah, do you remember, and I had to ask, but do you remember where you were when Godzilla 1998 came out? <laughs> I was in the theater opening night, man. That oh, was wow. my, uh, yeah. again, because I am, I am uh, an old, that was my senior year in college. Uh, the girl I was dating at the time, we we and a bunch of other friends went and saw it opening night in the theater because I had been jazzed for it. Uh, I had been absolutely pumped. And uh, that is uh, easily in my top 10 most disappointing uh, movie-going experiences uh, of my life because it was just... I really thought based on the trailers, it, and, and I'll, I'll be... I'll be fully upfront. Independence Day is one of my favorite movies of all time. I I adore Independence Day. I think it's almost a perfect movie. Uh, And so the idea that the guys who did Stargate and Independence Day were doing Godzilla and based on that, you know, there was that first trailer where the the teaser where the guy's fishing and Godzilla Mm -hmm. comes in and and then all you get is the title with the actual proper Godzilla roar because I was terrified they weren't going to use the Godzilla roar. And so as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay. Emmerich and Devlin get it. They get it. We're going to get a, an actual Godzilla movie. And wow, did we not. <laughs> yeah, we really didn't. But the funny thing was I was just so – I didn't see it till years later, obviously. I um, I was just so young when that movie first came out. But like in kindergarten – in first grade like Godzilla was like my thing I don't know I was like I moved on from dinosaurs and I went straight to Godzilla and that's where my teeth were sank and uh I remember renting 98 all the time just because it was like an updated version of Godzilla because at the video stores family video um I remember a few times renting the wrong one <laughs> when I have like friends for sleepovers and I would re- I'd accidentally rent like raids again or um like uh, some of the other Showa ones and they were like dubbed or they were black and white and my friends would get so mad at me. So I always told myself the one with the green cover is the one I always have to get because <laughs> they had that really <laughs> cheesy green logo with the red eye in the middle of it. Well, and, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and then I made the mistake that everyone else made for years to come where you thought Godzilla 2000 was actually Godzilla 98. And I put that one in, that would be another common blunder right there. <laughs> Well, and I mean, if you're a kid, Godzilla 98 actually makes sense. There's a lot going on in that that is going to be 
entertain you know the little baby zillas running around and, and you know i mean it's a weird hybrid of jurassic park and godzilla and so there's a lot you know for me being a little older and having had 20 years of, of 22 years in 98 of godzilla under my belt for me it's like the only thing i really like about 98 is that it is uh, that the Godzilla 98 is the first kaiju that Godzilla kicks the shit out of in Final Wars. Yeah. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and really Kitamura makes it this, you know, horrible CGI monstrosity while every other monster's dudes in, you know, suits and suit actors yep. and stuff. And I, I, I absolutely, I am. I know Final Wars is a movie that a lot of people don't like. I am a diehard Kitamura fan, and so I unabashedly love Final Wars. It, it is in my top five favorite Godzilla movies. I just love Final Wars, and that particular scene just mm. delights me to no end. Yeah, it's such such a weird movie moment, you know? It's like, it's like wait, was this really going to happen in the movie? And it does. And, you know, it's, it's funny. We're talking about uh, Destroy All Monsters and then Final Wars is basically, I feel like, uh, an updated version of that movie. Oh, it absolutely is. And, and, and I think that's maybe part of the reason, you know, you kind of have... You kind of have your three versions of Destroy All Monsters. You've got Destroy All Monsters, you've got Final Wars, and then you've got last year's Godzilla King of the Monsters. And they're all mm -hmm. basically kind of the same thing, which is a big super kaiju beatdown movie that's also just action-packed with fan service for, you know, people who are... Uh, have invested in the series um, and, and all three of them, I think have certain value. Uh, I, I, for me, I think King of Monsters is, is by far and away the worst one. Uh, but that's just, that's, I know lots of people love that movie. Uh, I, I defend final wars the way a lot of other people defend King of Monsters. Um, <laughs> but I don't think there's any question that destroy all monsters is, you know, kind of the, the grand high poobah of, of all of them. I, I think this is, for me, this is near the top, not just in favorite, but in terms of quality, I think of all Godzilla movies. Oh, that, you know, that's, that's an interesting point. Cause like, I, I was kind of similar to you. Godzilla growing up was like my thing. And then, you know, basically because of Godzilla, um growing up it was yeah i was like you power rangers anime in the 2000 late 90s with you know with toonami and everything so that stuff kind of all kind of brought me in my foundation and then as i've gotten older i've started to kind of feel that whole nostalgia of wanting to rewatch a lot of these movies you loved as like a kid and see how they hold up and you realize how great they still are and when that criterion box set got released i was like yeah i have to get it and uh I, I, when I got it, you know, for Christmas, I just immediately got started in it and it took me a whole year. It didn't take, it didn't take me, um, <laughs> oh, one month. It took me almost a whole year to do, but then I ended up buying all the, um, uh, he say and millennium series Blu-rays as well. And, um, man, just going through some of those and remembering small parts and pieces of them growing up. It's kind of a cool experience to do. Um, and yeah, I, I it, it's nice. I, I, I think, when you have to think about Godzilla in those different areas, I like to think of them as like small little like segments, you know, like you could watch. Um, I've always like when I talk to people who want to watch Godzilla movies, 
Um, usually I will say you watch the first one um, and then watch 84, you know, and then watch um, and then start watching the new ones. Even though my 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 love for 2014 is not there at all. I still have to tell people you got to watch that one. Um, but also you could break it down to like small little like uh, I, I, I can't really describe it. Like you could watch Astro Monster or Ghidorah Astro Monster and then you could watch 1993's, um, you know, Ghidorah again in, for the Hisei series. And you could do things like that. You could do like the Mechagodzilla trilogy or I guess four movies and, and take it that way. And I think that's so fun, like rewatching and kind of getting molded with Godzilla that you can look at this whole franchise in so many different types of ways and recommend it. I don't feel like I can do that with a lot of different type of franchises, I guess. No, I agree. And one of the other things that I love so much about Godzilla is, and the really the only other franchise that I feel like you can kind of maybe do this with as well is James Bond. And, and because they're both so long running, you can literally see time being time changing you know you can you Mm -hmm. can see how societies change and how the world changes based on how godzilla movies are because like you've got 1954 which is very much this serious allegory for hiroshima and stuff like that and, and and Japan recovering from this just devastating thing to where you get to sort of Astro Monster, uh, you know, a decade later mm-hmm. and you've got uh, Japan now becoming an economic superpower. And so we get Godzilla dancing after he, <laughs> he, he beats Ghidorah, you know, or you get... Megalon, where uh, Ultraman and and Common Rider become popular, so we get Jet Jaguar. But then we get to, you know, you get to the the Hisai era or the Millennium era, and things are much much worse. And so we get a nasty, mean Godzilla again, and a much darker tone. And then we get the American ones where. It's all about the MCU, and so now what we're trying to do is do this shared universe. Like you can literally see cinema and society evolve through Godzilla movies. And I think that is so fascinating. That is one of my favorite things about Godzilla movies. Oh yeah. 100%. I'm so glad you said it like that because you said it way better than even I could put it. Um, and, and you know, what's funny. I think that's why I kind of gravitate more towards the Showa era of Godzilla because I love the, the idea of like, this monster being bad, transforming and becoming kind of a, a symbol for a nation, you know, like Godzilla. And, and I think that's part of my reason. It's no mistake um, that I've said plenty of times before 62 King Kong versus Godzilla. I'm not a fan of it's got a lot of problems and it kind of says things that I don't care um, that it says because it feels like such a it feels like such an attack on such a cherished um, icon like Godzilla from an American audience and you, you know, but outside of that, the, the show era really kind of defines different types of genres, but including the same uh, monster that I, that you come to watch, and you know, and you get a little bit of extra with if the Mothra's in there or Ghidorah's in there. Um, and I think the show era just really captures that. I totally agree, though. The Hisei series and um, is especially it is such a it's such a like a times are kind of changing in like it's broody and dark and it's longer the 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 technological improvements japan's gonna make obviously you see that with the mecha godzilla movie in the hisei series 
Um, it gets even crazier in the Millennium series with <laughs> what they do with Mechagodzilla, which I actually like more. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, I mean, when it comes to Godzilla, do you have like a preferred, um, I, I'm trying to think, um, generation that you prefer? I know, I, I think I like the, the show just a little bit more. Um, but I totally think that the Hisei Millennium series have a lot of weight as well. I, 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 I'm going to go back to the show more, uh, certainly, you know, as ones that I would watch, um, I actually, you know, you mentioned pairings and how you can kind of watch these. Honestly, I, my two favorite Godzilla movies and the two that I actually think are, are the best, um, are the two that are kind of isolated from, from everything, which is actually Godzilla 1954. Uh, even though that's technically part of the Showa era, it, you know, it's, it's so mm-hmm. revered that even, even, the the Hisai and the Millennium series build on fifty four right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Shin Godzilla, uh, those are my two favorites. Those are the two that I think. And and there's another example, right? Shin Godzilla comes yep. after the tsunami, and, and so it really does go back. Really goes back to basics as far as Godzilla being this force, this destructive force of nature, and also hits on kind of the same way 1954 does that uh, the government's failure, you know, not to date this and not to get like (laughs) too like real, but like we're living in a pandemic that's largely a part of governmental failure to deal with a pandemic. And so shit, man, Shin, I just watched Shin Godzilla again a couple months ago and Good lord, does that movie hit hard right now? That yeah. is, that it hits hard and fast. It yeah. is insane. Um, for the runtime it has, it's the same as a Hisei Millennium film. But man, I do not feel its length at all, and it is an incredibly well-made movie. So I'm totally with you there. Well, and in fact, you were uh, you did a uh, schlock and awe on Shin Godzilla, <laughs> correct? Yeah, we did a double Lindsay and I of that in Lincoln, which I think was one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time when it comes to film, because just being a, a history buff with, with Lincoln and then with modern history, with, with what Shin gives you, on top of what I forgot about Shin, now that I've went back and watched Evangelion, you know, just had more respect for Anno in that, in, in that filmmaking aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's definitely you can certainly trace Evangelion to Shin Godzilla. There's there's no question about it. I I mean, Ano not to derail us, but you know, Ano is a uh, he's a flawed master. Uh, his <laughs> his ideas are often bigger than his ability to execute them. But when you get something like Shin, where everything falls in line, you just get what I think is is a tremendous movie. It's one of the best movies I first saw it probably four years ago. And it still sticks with me. It's just one of the best movies I've seen in the last decade. Yeah. And I think that's a movie that's really brought outside of, uh, the, the, the legendary picture ones. It was a movie that really brought a lot of people's attention to Godzilla again. And then, I mean, that's why Netflix put out that animated series, which I have kind of like my own, 
um, gripes with. But like, I mean, if any, if anyone, if like the general audience is going to be interested in Godzilla, I, I can only be happy in doing that because for a lot of times it's it's just conversations in my head of just like, oh well, Ishiro Honda did this for these couple movies, but Toho decided to really give him the middle finger and then he pushed him out, and then they did these movies and then they brought him back and then they lied to him, you know, and then it's like, it just like just like replaying history and what i think it went like by myself but like now that people are interested in it and they want to hear these conversations it gives me like an opportunity to do that you know <laughs> yeah no i agree i i have i watched all three of those netflix animated movies and uh i thought they were hit and miss um i actually thought they did a without getting too deep into details because honestly they didn't leave that much of an impression on me but i thought they were kind of a little bit of a weird mix of showa and and sort of uh, Heisei era because you have Showa stuff like aliens and, uh, and and all of that sort of stuff, but then you have this very dark sort of dark tone of Heisei Millennium, Millennium era, and so I I think it's like all things Godzilla. It, like the, this is the thing with Godzilla, right? It's always interesting. Mm-hmm. It's never not even the worst Godzilla films are still interesting for the most part. Um, and so it's just, they're always worth watching. I don't think there's a single Godzilla movie other than maybe 98 that I would tell people don't watch that movie. I, I, I think if somebody said, should I watch, you know, son of Godzilla, which I think is just weird and doesn't really work for me, I would still be like, well, yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on in there. So watch it. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think there's a, there's something I can always take away from them. Um, I actually like Son of Gods a little bit, and I and I think I've said it before. I get why it's not liked, but like as if I was a kid. I think All Monsters Attack and Son of Godzilla would be some of my favorite movies. And as an adult, I think the of them is like Saturday morning cartoon Godzilla movies, and they work. But I totally get the whole. You know, let's see. Son of Godzilla comes uh comes after Ebera, and you know that feels like a fun island adventure movie. Well, you get a little bit more of the same in that one, but it's a lot more comical. And then you get All Monsters Attack, which is fresh off Destroy All Monsters. I could see some of the disappointment there, though. Yeah, and I mean, I it, again, I just I I, I respect. You know, I, we kind of mentioned I'm 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 much more a Honda guy. But yeah, I, I was gonna say it's the it's the Fukuda right there. I could yep. t- I could smell it. <laughs> yep. But but I love even if I don't necessarily like Fukuda movies, I love them because I love that he was just this crazy creative dude who wanted to do something different with Godzilla. You know, Honda never really could quite get away. I feel like from that he created Godzilla and that 1954 was what he always wanted Godzilla to be. So there was always that undercurrent of even in something like Destroy All Monsters where Godzilla is the hero, uh, Honda always still wanted him to be something to be feared. And Fukuda just more or less was like, ah, no, he's just this cool lizard and he breathes fire Mm -hmm. and... He's awesome. So let's just make him awesome. And and I so I I love that. Even if I don't always like the movies, I love that that was the tactic that he took. Yeah, and it's such a yin and yang because they really are the only two that kind of stood out in that Showa. And then once you get to the he say it's kind of, you know, another 
you know, different types of directors taking hands there. Um, outside of Moriyoshi Oda um, doing Raids again, and then I forget who it was that did uh, Hedora. Um, there's, yeah, it basically feels like Honda was almost brought in as like a courtesy to do Godzilla because he's the maker of it. And he had sound, it sounds like he had such great ideas for these Godzilla movies, but Toho never thought they would sell and they would just force him to do almost like a space exploration thing because that was popular in the 60s. Um, and then you get Fukuda, who kind of is like, I'm going to do a fun in the sun kind of stuff and make him a little bit more kid-friendly, which made a lot of money. I think Honda, I think he gets the Godzilla stuff really well because, I mean, he gets uh, Akira um, uh, in Ikefube, uh, you know, to do the score, which is always great. And then you get... Um, Jun Fukuda being able to do really great human stories. Um, and the Godzilla stuff is a little bit more just for the kids. Like, if they're, like, not paying attention to the screen, you, you put Godzilla and you put um, his son in there, and they have the audience hooked. But that's what I've always felt watching a, a Honda versus a Fukuda. It just feels like, well, if I want a good human story, I'll probably go with Jun. If I want, like, just more of, like, this presence of Godzilla and I want a great score, I'm going to put um, Honda ahead there. Yeah, and that's actually that's actually yeah, you nailed one of the biggest reasons that I don't really um uh is like the enjoy the Fukuda ones as much is because that uh that Akira Ikafube theme that dun 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 dun, dun mm-hmm. I like I just get I actually get kind of annoyed when Godzilla appears and I don't hear that theme in the background. <laughs> and so it always takes me out of the movies because I'm like, if you could have just brought Ikafube, I, I wouldn't care. But but you because but you are right. He does do the human element. You know, even one as silly as Megalon, he still mm-hmm. does the human element uh really well uh and then like you said the godzilla stuff is i mean jet jaguars literally four kids right jet jaguars yeah. literally uh subaria has made ultraman and it's very successful and toei has made uh common rider and it's very successful so we need our own and we're gonna make jet jaguar like it's literally just for kids and for that it works like it gangbusters I mean, it does absolutely work. Like I said, Megalon, I watched Megalon probably 40 times as a kid. <laughs> um, and, and it wasn't until I got older that I that I really shifted to... Because when, when I was a kid, the Fukuda ones were the ones that I liked. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, Megalon, uh, you know, even Son of Godzilla, I, I really liked. It was only when I got older that I shifted to the Honda ones. And it was really because I saw 54 when I was a kid and I didn't like it all that much. And then I saw 54 when I was like 25 and was just absolutely blown away. And so that's when I sort of shifted to being a Honda guy instead. Yeah, and yeah, there's just no nothing more to be said. It just you know you take your yin and your yang. Then you get those like those oddballs. Like I still think I know Godzilla raids again is a is a Moriyoshi Oda film, but it feels like a, in the vein of Honda, you know. So you kind of get the leg up there. And when it, yeah, when it comes to things like iconic like Mecha Godzilla. Um, 
I mean, you got to see like Fukuda versus Honda and see what their takes on the monsters are. And you know what? I still, to this day, I can't really decide which one I like more. I know Terror of Mechagodzilla gets a lot more flack than the the, the one before it. But uh, I, I think that's the nice thing about Godzilla movies is I think people just appreciate that there are Godzilla movies that exist. Although I will still say I will take Astro Monster to the Grey with me is one of the more boring ones. But uh, <laughs> outside of that, I, I still have a lot of lot of fun. And I, I think that's that's what's fun about it. Like I could say I don't like this one that much, but you know, you, you know, there's still things I really like about it. Like Godzilla and the little ball being taken by the aliens and his little dance after beating Ghidorah, after Ghidorah got his ass handed to him in the last movie, in his own titled movie. You know, I still love to see that stuff. Yeah, the biggest problem with Astro Monster is after the big fight on Planet X and Godzilla does his celebration dance. Like you, you, the movie can, the movie never comes back from that. Like, I think the first 20, 30 minutes of that movie is some of my favorite, like Godzilla movie ever. And then it just cannot come back from that. It, it literally shoots its load, uh, that, that (laughs) planet X fight. And then it's just dull, dull, dull after that. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's, it's like a lot of these movies can be called um just godzilla being a bad guy and then space exploration movie and then fun in the tropical sun and then you can get the mecha godzilla movies and then the the godzilla vs. hetera um you know acid trip movie which i think is still a pretty solid one hetera is one of my favorite i love hetera i that that's another one that i saw a lot as a kid and frankly on this and i probably hadn't watched it in 30 years um and so on that rewatch i did last year i i was really happy to see for me hetera just absolutely held up i i thought it was really terrific yeah and that's a that's a kaiju that doesn't get enough love in the modern movies like in it's like almost nowhere near um, I think it would fit well in like the Hisa or even the Millennium series, the, the Hedora Kaiju, but I don't think that, that one kind of stood the test of time, which is a little bit of a shame. It does feel very dated, uh, but I still think Hedera is such a uh, is such an interesting monster. And it's also not, you know, it, it ain't like our environment's gotten any better. So I think you could probably <laughs> redo Hetera in a way that would be topical and relevant for, uh, you know, and in fact, I, I would love to see a, a Shin universe, an Anno version of Godzilla versus Hetera. Because, you know, of course, one of my favorite things about Shin Godzilla is just how monstrous and ugly and weird and Mm -hmm. goofy with the googly eyes he looked so i'd love to see what anno and his team could do with hetera you know this giant slimy smog monster made of you know toxic waste and human trash like uh man i'd pay good money to see that movie Uh, i would too that would be a terrifying picture as well yeah well yeah because you know it would be to to quote the the terrible, terrible, well, the great tagline from the terrible Alien versus Predator movie, uh, whoever wins, we lose, right? I mean, that's literally what that movie would be. Whoever wins, we're screwed either way. <laughs> that's so true. You <laughs> Don't even bring up like Alien versus Predator. That just goes into another chapter of Chris's childhood there that could be in a whole episode long. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So we're, I mean, I think people are listening. They know, we know our shit and we're talking 68 destroy all monsters. 
Destroy all monsters. What is the conclave of nations when unknown powers from outer space attack our world with gargantuan man-killers? Then the armies of our world unite. Massive armies versus mad monsters for possession of planet Earth. Destroy all monsters. Like we said, Honda is back on this one, which is interesting because he comes back with Akira Fube, uh, who does the composer. He comes back there together for the first time in three years because the last couple ones, um, it's been Jun Fukuda who's been doing the movies with the last one being uh, Son of Godzilla, I believe. And um, this was intended to be the last Godzilla movie, which I think is funny um, because (laughs) it's kind of like the opposite effect, like you said, Mike, with, um, with Astro Monster. That movie shoots its load too early on, and then it's kind of a it's a bore there. But this movie kind of waits till the very end, so you have to go through most of the movie and the human story to get to the amazing stuff of this one. And uh, I guess that last ten to fifteen minutes of this movie did so well because it you know instead of this being the finale, uh, the movie made so much money and was such a like, success, it spawned even more Godzilla movies after that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of can. I know. You know, the Showa era is kind of considered 54 all the way up to Terror of Mechagodzilla. Mm -hmm. But I really, in my mind, the Showa era is kind of divided into two. Because I I definitely feel like Destroy All Monsters feels like a... You know, well, you said it. It was supposed to be the end, and it feels like an end. Like, it, it, it... And so... And it feels like there's so many threads that have been woven through all these Showa, not just these Showa movies, but things like Mothra and Rodan and uh, King Kong Escapes, which which uh, Gorosaurus mm-hmm. first appears in. And, and, you know, we get Baragon in this one, who was from... Uh, uh, Gamera. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, and so it's like you get these you get these movies that have been sort of building up to this. And so this does fill and from here on out the movies are very much more just Godzilla centric, right? It's Godzilla versus mm-hmm. a monster. It's not so much like a a shared universe. I mean the, from 54 to 68 uh Toho was really kind of building a shared universe that Godzilla was the backbone to. Uh, and, and so in my mind, I sort of feel like this is a, this is the end of a chapter. This is the end, even though technically we consider the whole Showa era, this is the end of a chapter. And, uh, because of that, you know, I think maybe that was part of the reason it was such a big success. So, um, people wanted to see all these monsters getting together and, and doing all sorts of monster beatdowns. Yeah, I love how the final wrap-up that it was intended to be was still, hey, we're just going to be a bunch of monsters just bullying, and we're just going to beat the crap out of Ghidorah again because Ghidorah's always being controlled by aliens. I love that concept of uh, or Ghidorah, excuse me, um, in, in all of its movies. Like, in its first with uh, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster and then Astro Monster, you know, I just love how it shows up. It just gets the crap 
you know, beat out of it. And uh, rightfully so, because it's like basically the arch nemesis. And uh, you're right. Toho really was building up to this with Godzilla being the backbone, because after um, Raids again, we don't see Godzilla again till 62 with King Kong versus Godzilla. And you get Mothra and Rodan kind of carrying um, the weight. And then after the success of 62, um, you know, you get King Kong's licensing to Toho and you get King Kong Escapes, which I think is kind of, I don't know, I kind of go back and forth with King Kong Escapes. I really enjoy most of it, but as a story, it really kind of falls through. But I do like a lot of like, I like the Mechie Kong. I like seeing Gorosaurus. It's kind of like a, a King Kong story light in a way with like the Toho. Toho can't get away from aliens. And um, they, it kind of shows that, you know? Yeah, and I'll be honest. I've never actually seen King Kong Escapes. I, I only know of it because I love this movie. And and I I was like, where where who is this weird dinosaur-looking thing that's not Godzilla? <laughs> and so, you know, then I had to... Re- I've, I've never actually seen King Kong Escapes. And so... Um, I, I, it's on my list to check out because I, I have not seen it yet. Um, but yeah, but no, it, it is it's a it's an interesting way that they've put this all together because again, yeah, after raids again, Godzilla kind of goes dormant for a bit, but we still get Honda making all these kaiju movies, and it almost feels like mm-hmm. more than anything, Destroy All Monsters is. Honda wanting to make a statement and say, I am done with these. And of course, we know he was not. But uh, it does have that feeling of, I have shepherded this for 14 years and I'm ready to be done with it. Yeah, and, and it's it, it, and it feels like it was a proper send-off. I mean, I still think it's it's criminal that Honda had a movie in mind for this. He wanted to make a more like, Godzilla backstory, I believe, or like an environmental story about the concept of all these kaiju being on Monster Island. And I think that sounds really interesting. You know, Honda always wants to do something that's based around these kaiju monsters being kind of like deities in this planet we live on and just like the the naturalism of it and the environmental impacts of it. And I think those are such great ideas we really don't get to see too much about. I mean, really, you could say hetera in a way and then you can get say shin godzilla as well um you get these kind of ideas explored and i think they do them really well but honda really never got a chance to do that outside of his first movie which i it is kind of sad and i think it is sad that i mean he's he's a director i feel like who kind of had to kind of go through the mud to uh to get what he's wanted with his movies and i feel so bad i mean when he did 62 it was a satire in a way of a, something he had created from an american studio and i just i don't like that and i uh, props to him for going through it um but i really wish we kind of it's almost like a it sounds like a battle cry for the snyder cut in a way i want like a honda cut of a godzilla movie you know in a way where toho yeah no i i agree um yeah have you ever read so one of my one of the reasons that i love this movie is the concept of monster island and um have you ever read xander Mm -hmm. cannon's kaiju max the the so it's a it's a comic uh by a, a great comic writer uh, Xander Cannon. It is basically exactly what you just asked that you that or said that you wanted. It is a pr- it's about a prison island for kaiju, 
and the guards are all basically Ultramen, and it's about these <laughs> kaiju, um, you know, how they're they're dealing with being in prison and stuff like that, and and it's 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 funny and it's interesting and it's really poignant at times because the the main character who is kind of based on Godzilla but not really uh it, it kind of a female Godzilla or I, I can't remember female but either way gets imprisoned but separated from their kids who are still sort of outside the prison it's been a while since I've read it but I really given what you said you wanted to see I cannot recommend Kaiju Max enough to you Chris I think you will absolutely love it this sounds awesome I don't know how I haven't heard it till now but this sounds really cool and I think that's what like you said yeah Monster Island on concept sounds amazing and it kind of sets the the tone of like where these monsters exist for the rest of Godzilla it's always on an island of sorts I mean Fukuda kind of did that with Son of Godzilla, um, and he kind of. But still, it, it's mostly just that's where Godzilla is raising his kid. It's not like an actual island too much. He always had Infant Island where Mothra was, but Godzilla and all these monsters together never got to coexist too well. Uh, and I do like that. Uh, I also like how this movie takes place in 1999. In ni- when it takes place, well, it was made in '68, but it takes place in 1999 in the future, and uh, I think it kind of. It, it, it kind of is crazy how on the mark a little bit they were on that with the with the UN kind of working together and making an, uh, making a decision to put these monsters into a habitat where they're stuck on. I kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I Well, and that's, again, that's what I love. I think part of the reason I like Godzilla movies so much is less about the movies and more about the headcanon that the movies help you create. Because I, I think even the best Godzilla movies almost uniformly don't achieve their potential. Um, be it <laughs> due to Toho's interference, limited budgets, whatever. But uh, Honda and Fukuda and, 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 you know, later the people that were working in the later eras, you know, Ryui Kitamura, people like that. These are all people who are just bursting to the brim with ideas and so there's so many ideas just planted in here you know i i love the idea of after four or you know well after what would be 50 years basically because 45 years of trying to kill these monsters and failing every single time the 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 countries of the world just decided you know what screw it Let's just put them in one location, <laughs> lock the gates, essentially, because we're not going to be able to kill them. And every time we think we kill them, they come back and destroy shit. So let's just contain them. I mean, that's so I, I want the backstory. I want the, the prequel like novel that tells me <laughs> how all of that came about. Like, how did they get them to Monster Island? <laughs> you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, you know and if you want to really get into continuity and we're getting into really deep Godzilla nerd here um, it also has Anguirus in this movie but Anguirus died in Raids Again but he's back again for the first time since that movie 
he's here. Baragon, who hasn't been in a Godzilla movie, but is um, in Gamera films, he's in this. Um, you get Kumanga, the spider, I believe, shows has an appearance in here, which is the same clip, I believe, from Son of Godzilla, uh, which was killed at the end of that movie is in this. Gorosaurus, which was killed by King Kong, he's back in this one. The continuity yeah, you really get, doesn't make you sense. You even get Manda from Atragon, which, you know, the Atragon, that, that is something, <laughs> you know, that comes back way later again because uh, that's the ship that, that – kitamura brings into final wars so yeah it's the continuity's bananas <laughs> yeah and and i love it they're like this is 1999 when this is happening and they're still having the same problems like i yeah like you said like 45 years prior to that but what i like still in 1999 uh, is that they didn't learn that, you know, who's releasing these uh, mo- monsters, you know, and it's, of course, it's aliens, you know, and, and six, I swear the 60s had such a love for space exploration and aliens, because that's what most of these Godzilla movies were, are just aliens taking control of the monsters and trying to destroy the world with it. But I like how in this one, the aliens decide to not hold back and just say, you know what, you take care of all these monsters now. Um, and you know what? People, I don't know what people's opinions are, but Akira Kubo is the star of this movie. He was in Son of Godzilla, uh, which I really liked him in. I think he does a good job in this. He's what he's probably my second favorite actor in the um, Showa after Takarada. I think he he kind of is a shining light, even though he his characters aren't always the best written. I still think his yeah, I, I agree good. with you on that. You know, I actually think it's so funny because. You know, most of us probably grew up watching just terrible, terrible dubbed versions of these movies. And so when you actually get Mm. to see them in their subtitled form, you're like, oh, no, there's a lot of actors here who, in spite of the fact that they're in a movie that involves mostly, you know, dudes in rubber suits destroying cardboard buildings, are are really giving it their all, and uh, and I think I think Kubo does. I, I think he's he's good. I mean, I, I I rarely have problems with with most of the acting in in Godzilla movies, but I I think in Destroy All Monsters, it's it's a little better than average. And I think again, part of that is it's just so clear to me that that Honda was really invested in this one. He wanted to try and do something with this one. He was thwarted. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and stopped from doing what he wanted to do, but I still think he was really invested in making the best movie he could make. Yeah. And and people, I, I, the criticism of this movie would probably be the human story isn't that great and it takes forever to get all these monsters fighting together, but you know what? I, yeah, Godzilla's human stories aren't always going to be for everyone, but it, it does it does make that mark, which is the golden rule of Showa Godzilla movies. And he said, I'm still trying to think of a golden rule for, but with Showa, it's always if a kaiju or Godzilla shows up thirty before the 30-minute mark, you're in good company. This movie has like these monsters showing up within the first 10 to 15 minutes. And you get some more of that, and then you get the human story, and then you get a full like 20 minutes of the movie of just all of them bashing Ghidorah. Um I think it's a recipe that that works, you know, and you kind of wish you got some yeah, more no, of that I other agree. movies I mean, too. That scene, that that like first scene where we see them all on Monster Island, that this just like a warm blanket, man. Just wrap me up in that scene uh, over mm-hmm. and and rock me to bed <laughs> because it's like 
it, it it's so amazing seeing even still to this day for me it's so amazing seeing all those monsters in that one location <laughs> and 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 it, it, you know it's it's the same way i guess you know you mentioned it and I, and i think i said it when we recorded the 20th century movie club that this is kind of the avengers of uh godzilla movies and i'm never going to get tired of that scene in the avengers right after the Hulk shows up and we get that panning shot to the great Alan Silvestri score. Mm. I don't care what I think of Marvel movies. If I get tired of them or what, I'm always going to love that scene. And that first scene on monster Island really makes me feel the same way. It's just all these monsters in this one place at the same time is just so fantastic. Yeah, it really is. It, even though Mothra in the previous movies was a full-grown full um, kaiju, it's still the little caterpillar larval form. I have no problems with that there. I just like how all of them get like their little spot on screen. Like It, it, it just cuts to each each kaiju in its, its particular spot. You know, like it just... Just that one scene with just them by themselves, and it's just really nice. And I still think the Monster Island and the um, just like all of them living in harmony in a way, while they could probably be fighting, um, usually Rodan would probably start it. Um, it feels like kind of like Spielberg got influenced in a way with his Jurassic Park, and at least with Jurassic World or uh, the sec- the Lost World, excuse me, the sec- the sequel to that. Um, when I was talking to Boozy, I kept thinking, I was like, that last scene always stuck to me. And I think it's because it kind of reminds me of Destroy All Monsters in a way, where they're all on the yeah, Monster Island Yeah, they've all kind of carved out their little turf, right? Like, you can imagine, which is in a lot of ways how animals in the real world exist. You know, they have their squabbles, and they, you know, you can certainly imagine a scenario, again, the prequel that we never got that I want of... When they all got the monsters to Monster Island, it was like just a big kaiju beatdown, right? Like they all just were like, but then they all sort mm. of, you know, Godzilla established alpha dominance and, and, and they, they like all just sort of settled into their little areas. They all had their places like, like Rodan's like, well, you know what? I fly. I'm going to hang out on top of the mountain. And all the other monsters are like, well, we don't fly have at it man you know and just and so it's just it's very cool to me that there's this sort of environment where they all are existing and not to get like too uh read way too much into godzilla movies but like that but that also that like yeah kind of like jurassic park that these wonders of nature these amazing things destructive though they may be now have a habitat where they can exist, we can exist, and everybody can be okay until some friggin' aliens come and screw everything up. <laughs> and I think that's what Honda wanted, right? Like, he, he, he always thought Godzilla was, like, this kind of presence that exists because of us, but is a necessary existence now because of what we're capable of. And these monsters get to hang out and be happy um, until some outside presence decides to, to, to mess with them, you know, like obviously this is in 68. So you have like the cold war and you have a bunch of other issues going on. You know, I'm sure Honda's thinking like, this is how, you know, the world peace should be. That's no mistake that the UN is such a big part of this movie and different world leaders and different countries are attacked by these monsters, um, in the landmarks. 
it's no mistake that Honda probably thought this is how the world should be with these kind of dangers that exist in this world we live in now that we created, you know? And, and, and I think that goes to the genius of Honda in like wanting to use Godzilla as a vessel to carry important messages to people young and old and kind of a reminder of like who we are. And uh, I, again, like that's only something I think Honda could really do with these, with these movies. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I totally agree with you there. And I, I think the only thing with this movie is still the idea of like these aliens. I still don't know why aliens are such a thing. I think it's because they wanted to include Ghidorah, uh, and, and you can only include um, King Ghidorah if you um, have some sort of like um, extraterrestrial presence, because that's basically the concept of the monster. But that's just personal bias, I think, speaking there. And I also am glad that Godzilla finally got an updated yeah, suit. Yeah, the in this suit movie in this too. movie looks great. It's one of my favorite Godzilla suits. Um, I actually have a, a little bit of a, a theory, too, as far as why aliens and stuff. I mean, we're literally right around the Apollo moon landing, so space was on everybody's mind. But also, mm. you know, 54 was a reaction to Hiroshima 68 we are knee deep the world is knee deep in the cold war and so and I might be reading too much into this movie in fact odds are I probably am but what you've basically got on Monster Island is all these superpowers that can destroy the world as we know it and they're they're cohabitating and I, I almost wonder if Honda's point was how fragile that could be if some sort of outside factor came in and, and did something. Um, and, and some of that's probably just hindsight, me just reading the last 60 years in hindsight. But, you know, I was thinking about it as you were saying it, why aliens? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, if you were going to make this now, you would probably wouldn't use aliens. You'd use terrorists right the terrorists would mm -hmm. figure out a way to unleash the monsters uh they would figure out a way to make these superpowers overreact and destroy things that maybe don't deserve to be destroyed um and so i don't know i i'm literally thinking this up as we're talking about it and i don't want to read too much into a movie called destroy all <laughs> monsters but this is the thing, this is why I keep going back to the Honda movies, because this is the kind of stuff that makes me really like kaiju movies, is I can pull these threads, and whether they're actually there or not, they still make me think. You know, is Godzilla, uh, uh, in this case, uh, you know, an allegory for the United States? Is rodan russia you know is 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 mothra china mm -hmm. like how are these and, and and it is actually kind of funny because godzilla destroys the united states rodan destroys moscow and mothra <laughs> destroys beijing and so it is kind of like you know it's not surprising to be able to read that to it. I don't know if it was intended but again it's one of the things that i love about the best godzilla movies is Either they're a hell of a lot smarter than they get them than they get credit for, or I'm reading too much into them for being smarter than they get credit for. But either way, I don't. Either way, I don't care <laughs> because it makes me think about this stuff. Right. 
Yeah, and, I, and that's what I keep trying to tell people with Godzilla movies. It's like, you could just say it's a bunch of guys in suits sumo wrestling with aliens, but, I mean, if you really want to get into it, you can get your mind thinking about it, which is, I think, really great. And obviously, I think this movie had a huge impact on how King of the Monsters turned out to be um, as well, because you get, instead of, like you said, the aliens, you get terrorists in the King of the Monsters. You know, you get, like, this, uh, you know, this environmental terrorist group that's trying to exploit um, these kaijus. Um, so you can see 68's lasting impact into the movies we have today, which I think why it makes it such a fitting movie that, that should be watched before the new King Kong vs. Godzilla movie um, gets released. Um, and I and I kind of already said it myself. I think this new one is already going to be better than 62, but I think that's still just my biggest I mean, I don't story. think 62 is very good either. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's, you know, it was just such a... And I don't want to get bogged down in the backstory, but I know you know the backstory. People listening, you know, just go yeah. on Wikipedia and read the sort of the backstory of how that movie came about. And no, this one feels uh, like it's going to be an actual movie. And, and that excites me because, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of King of the Monsters. Uh, I actually have different problems than most people have with King of the Monsters because I know a lot of people that didn't like King of the Monsters were like, oh, they spend too much time on the people and the people are boring. And uh, for me, that's just kind of like, well, that's just sort of Godzilla movies. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't think the mm -hmm. people's story works as well as the best Godzilla movies, but it didn't bother me. My biggest problem is in spite of the fact that I really like Mike Doherty, I thought the movie looked like garbage. I could not tell what and I watched it at home on my incredibly well calibrated television and every single fight <laughs> scene in that movie was so dark and raining or and and stuff and i understand they were also part of that was they were trying to keep the perspective uh <clears throat> that gareth edwards you know sort of set up in 2014 of trying to make the monsters look big from the human perspective but it's one of those things that just drives home. Give me the dudes in the rubber suits. I just, I'm, I, I like the dudes in the rubber suits, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to lie. I love Adam Wingard. He made one of my favorite movies of all time in the guest. I am all in on the new one. I am so excited for it. Yeah, I am too. It just feels like an actual fan of these movies is getting a chance to do it, you know? And I agree. I, I enjoy King of the Monsters. I saw it in theaters like two or three times, but it does. It is a dark movie. Like it's hard to see these things. I still am not behind the, the the design of Godzilla that we have for legendary pictures. But I mean, that's here to stay. Um, the human story. I like the actors that are in it. I just I just don't. I I don't know. Some of the the actions for it are a little sus. Um, and I think the only time that works it works for the the dark in the movie is when Godzilla is underwater and it's just gives them all a scare and you just see his eyes um just beaming at him that's about it but other than that yeah and then the the hook at the end of the movie which may or may not have a an impact in the new one but uh no i i totally understand what you're coming from with that it's kind of like making the best of like what we have to work with with that movie because i don't find a lot of good things in 2014 but 2017's there i'm like i, I guess i gotta make <laughs> yeah, this one yeah work. i mean and and i'm actually uh, i think that's what's interesting is i think i'm a, a little less of a fan of of 2017 
than most and a little more of a fan of 2014 than most. Although I will fully admit when I first saw 2014, I was disappointed. It was only on uh, some later rewatches that I think I kind of uh, uh, grew to to appreciate it. Plus, you know, I will say both movies have just some stone cold all-time great Godzilla scenes. You know, 2014 Godzilla uh, tearing the Muto's jaw open and atomic breathing the Muto is just, Mm -hmm. that's peak awesome Godzilla. And 2017, him coming out of the... uh, the flames and the clouds. It looks like it's Ghidorah, but then he comes out and it's Ghidorah's head and his mouth is just, those are peak awesome. So even those movies, I think have some, some pretty good stuff in them. I certainly would tell people to watch them, you know, even, even though I don't love them, I would be like, yeah, yeah. check them out. Why not? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's such hype. And, and that's what I think a lot of audiences for Godzilla want to get into because, you know, a lot of people don't have time to watch 35 Godzilla movies, you know, and they want to get some of that really good movie magic in there. And that's what these legendary pictures are doing. Um, but yeah, and I, and I think, again, like if what this whole miniseries is about, like for people who want to watch some Godzilla movies before the new one comes out. I think 68 is a must watch if you hadn't already seen it before King of the Monsters, but it is available on HBO Max. HBO Max is killing it with a lot of this. You can get them all also on the Criterion channel, the the Showa films, but um, you can get this also on HBO Max, which where the new one's going to be on as well if you don't see it in theaters. Um, But yeah, um, I I definitely think this is an essential one to watch. So um, Mike... Thank you so much for just hanging out with me and just giving me an excuse to just just overload our audience with just Godzilla love. <laughs> oh, dude, I appreciate it so much. I, much like you, don't get a ton of opportunity to just geek out about Godzilla. So I, I had easily as much fun as you did doing this because uh, I have a lot of friends that I can geek out with about, you know, action movies and martial arts movies and stuff but Godzilla is one that uh, I don't have a ton of friends who share uh, even if they like him I don't have a ton of people who share the depth of my love for Godzilla so I really appreciated getting to do this and I'm just going to second everything you said I think this is an essential watch if you're going to watch the new one if you haven't already watched it before King of the Monsters this is an essential watch this is uh, maybe it's certainly not the best Godzilla, but it might be the most Godzilla. Like it is, it is peak kaiju awesomeness, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, and, and Mike, um, where, where can people find you so we can so you know once they're they're done listening to this, they want to see everything that you have to talk about with your action movies and your podcast and stuff. Well, where where can we find you? So you can follow me personally at Hibachi Justice on Twitter and uh, on Letterboxd. You can follow the Dana Buckler Show at uh, the easiest way to follow Dana's show is to just go to Linktree slash Dana Buckler Show or follow him on Twitter at Dana Buckler Show. Uh, you can hear the podcast on any major podcast app, even minor ones. You can 
If you can listen to podcasts, you can find Dana's show. You can also follow the Adkins Undisputed podcast on Twitter at Adkins Podcast, and you can find that on any major podcast app as well. I tend to tweet a lot more from my personal account, uh, so if you want to know my thoughts, I keep the Adkins account basically for the show. So if you want to know my thoughts on like other movies and Godzilla movies and stuff like that, follow my <laughs> my personal Twitter, Hibachi Justice, because uh, I'm usually tweeting from there a lot more. Yes, and 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 this is going to be all links that uh, you all can click on that are listening. Um, you can find that on our website, InsideTheSequel.com. You could also that's where you'll be able to find all our other episodes as well, including our previous two for this mini series. Um, I totally recommend everyone check out um, Michael. Um, on Twitter, he's just amazing. I just some of my favorite tweets are usually from him, and just like the type of threads he starts. Um, but yeah, Mike, thanks again for hopping on, man. I, it was a really a, a great time, and um, you know, like uh, we said earlier, I am going to. Um, I, I, I we recorded an episode for the 20th Century Movie Club, so look out for that in the near future. Um, if you liked this episode, make sure to give it a thumbs up, share it with your friends, make sure to follow, um, the podcast at inside sequel, um, on Twitter. You can follow me at hertastic underscore Chris. Don't forget to follow us on the YouTube channel, hertastic reviews. Um, what, what, you know, if that's your kind of thing <laughs> and then, um, uh, but yeah, I just, re- again, I just want to give a special thank you to, uh, Michael Scott for being able to give us his time to just nerd out with the big G. I really appreciate it, man. Oh no, man. It was a blast. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. And, uh, thank you all for listening and, uh, don't forget to tune in for our next episode where we're going to talk about, uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, which is, uh, one I'm very much getting ready to, um, to start, you know, recommending for people for the, the new one. That'll be sometime next week. So don't forget to uh, check that out in the near future. And uh, remember, everyone, if you aren't listening or watching uh, kaiju films, do you really care about cinema? Anyway, we'll see you next time.